Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwartz-Traber. Nearly every child in America is taught a few basic things in life. Don't cross the street without looking both ways. Don't talk to strangers. And if you're in trouble, dial 911. It's pretty simple. When you dial 911, the call should go through, and help should be on the way. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. In many office buildings, campuses around the country, you have to press 9 before going out or some other number. And we saw the tragic result of that impediment in the case of Carrie Hunt. In 2013, Carrie went to a Texas motel with her kids to meet her estranged husband. He attacked and killed her. Carrie's daughter tried to call 911 from the motel room phone four times, but the call wouldn't go through. The motel's phone system required her to first dial a 9. This tragedy should never be repeated. Thankfully, action is being taken. I'm honored to be joined by Hank Hunt, Carrie's father, who has worked tirelessly to bring attention to this problem and solve it. Hank, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for your moving presentation at today's FCC Open Meeting. We are recording this on September 26th. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. And I'm also joined by Ajit Pai, chairman of the FCC. And I want to turn it over to you because you have been working hand-in-hand with Hank for so long on this issue. Thanks so much, Evan. Uh, thanks uh, for coming, Hank. I really appreciate your advocacy and friendship over the years and your willingness to sit down with a couple of bureaucrats here in Washington to discuss your story. And as I said uh, earlier today, uh, I've just found your example so inspiring, the courage and the persistence you had in a situation that would make most people uh, want to withdraw. You had the opposite reaction. Uh, and uh, I've, I've just personally found it very inspiring to see your example over the last uh, several years. Uh, yeah, before getting into mm-hmm. Carrie's story, though, I, w- I would like to just learn a little bit about you. Where are you from, and uh, did you grow up there, and uh, what do you do? Well, I was uh, actually born in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, we won't hold uh, that against you. Yeah, well, so a lot of people do, <laughs> and uh, sometimes I do, too. Uh, but uh, Razorback Country, uh, we moved to Texas in, uh, when I was in the uh, uh, middle school and been a Texan ever since, and... Uh, won't ever be anything else but that from now on. And uh, I live in East Texas, Northeast Texas, between uh, Tyler, Texas, and Longview. Uh, you have to get a map for those, and those are the <laughs> largest towns around me. And uh, my wife and I are edging toward retirement. We have a very small little horse ranch out in the country, and that's where we like to like to stay. And uh, have grandkids come over, slide down the hill, and play out in the horse pastures. And I've got to say, I mean, at 29, DJ's a little early for retirement, but yeah, I respect everyone's choice. Well, you know, we do what we can to uh, to make make her happy. <laughs> you know, What's that but, saying? But happy you, wife, happy yes, wife. That's it. That's it. Um, that's it. Can you describe what Carrie was like as a little girl? Oh. Um, happy. Uh, f- full of life. Uh, the only way, the best way for me to describe Carrie is... Uh, uh, a day that we went out together we would on my days off we would go uh i think she was about eight seven or eight about this time during the summer and we i had a little bronco two i don't know if you remember those or not but it was for a little four-wheel drive vehicle and we went out below mansfield dam in austin and uh, we were four-wheeling down there and it was a great little i don't want to say pasture but just little bit of land you know green green bright green grass trees but it had a creek running through the middle of it it was only about eight ten inches deep and rock bottom about 15 feet wide not, not a big 
big deal, but I pulled up to it and I said, I'm not going to, if you weren't with me, then I would go through it, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. And she kept asking me to, let's do it. Let's do it. And, you know, I said, no, you're with me and I'm not going to, I'm not going to chance this thing. It's not going to float anywhere because <laughs> it's just a small Creek, but uh, still. And, uh, I looked over at her and she grabbed her seatbelt and she tightened it real tight and she reached up and grabbed the, the handhold and she looked at me and she said, chicken. And she knew at that point, <laughs> needless to say, we made it through the creek and uh, we did it several times, but that's the way she was every day. Uh, she challenges, she loved jokes and, uh, we, uh, we always had family day during, during, during each month we would have a family day where everybody would come over and, uh, their favorite ones was kite day. And we all made our own kites when the sprick of wind blowing anywhere. And I actually tied five of them to my riding lawnmower and pulled out across the horse pasture and we flew kites. So, but that's what she was chasing me to make sure that they stay up in the air for the kids so that they could see the kites flying and make sure that they fly. And that's what, that's what we always did. And she was always in the middle of that. If it had to do with family, she was there. Well, that's, I think you obviously you know, raised her right because she was a mom in her own right. right. And I was wondering if you could describe how many kids she had and what kind of mom she was. Uh, three kids, a uh, little boy, Zane, a uh, little girl, Kylie, and then Brianna, the oldest. And uh, she was uh, not very not very strict unless it came to uh, pretty bad infractions that children were, might make. Uh, she made sure that they did not hang on to uh, pacifiers and bottles past a certain age. She wanted them to grow up, grow up properly, is the way she would say it. And uh, she was, um, she was just a loving mom, and she loved those children with all her heart. You know, one of the things I've noticed uh, since I've known you is just the way you talk about your daughter is the way I think of my own daughter. There's something special mm-hmm. about that daddy-daughter bond, and. Uh, that bond, as we've all discussed, was broken in December Correct. of 2013. And for the benefit of the listeners who might not know uh, the story and understanding, obviously, this is a quite painful experience, but I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could walk us through that day, uh, what it was that happened and how you found out about it. Well, she had uh, she had, had uh, enough of the marriage. Uh, it wasn't uh, physical abuse that I that I know of. Uh, but there was an awful lot of emotional and verbal abuse, and uh, uh, treatment was just. I had gotten into several verbal conversations with her husband about the way he treated her, and um, she had gone to a wedding, I believe it was, and which was in Marshall, about seventy miles from where they were living. And um, after it was the wedding was over with, they came back to her sister's house. They had spent the night packed their clothes, and uh, the kids said they didn't want to go back. The kids said that? Too. Oh, yeah, the kids told us they didn't want to go back. Yeah, And she said, okay. So she stayed, and they were there for about three weeks. And he had uh, had asked if he could see the visit with the children. And she said yes. So he got a hotel room there, and she took the kids to him, which she was not supposed to do. And if she was here now, I'd bean her in the head. But... Uh, she she took the kids there. He had been threatening to kill her, which was uh, scary to all of us. I never dreamed, never in my life did I dream he would do what he did. But um, 
she dropped him at the hotel at the hotel and he uh, talked her into coming into the uh, to the room and then talked her into going into the restroom to talk and smoke a cigarette and uh, when he did he locked the door behind him and when she told him that she was it still had intentions to leave that's when he started attacking her so the kids were in the main room and Correct. she and he were in the bathroom with the Correct. door locked Correct. And when he started attacking her, uh, that's when she yelled at Brianna to call 911. And Brianna pushed her little brother and sister out into the hallway of the hotel. And she proceeded to call 911 and couldn't. I think she said she called twice and she would go and kick and knock on the bathroom door and tell him to stop, scream at him to stop and things like that. It was uh, she heard it all. She heard, she heard it, everything. So her imagination still gets to her every now and then. Um, but she tried uh, her heart out to get her mother help. She left the room, and there were two housekeepers in the, the lobby there, and she was telling them, and they just walked on. Like nothing had happened. Come to find out they didn't speak English. So they didn't know what was going on. But if you look at the video tapes this child was in distress this this is a nine-year-old little girl and uh, anybody even another nine-year-old would have known something's wrong and eventually he came out one uh, let me back up real quick another guest in the hotel heard what was going on and she went over there and brianna had opened the door and she banged on the, the bathroom door and told him that the police are on their way and was he still stabbing her? He was point? still atta- actually at that point. I think he was trying to clean up. Okay, and he opened the door and actually told her, "We'll be through in a minute." Okay. Oh my God. And uh, she said there was blood on his shoes. Mm-hmm. Brianna knows that. She saw all of that, and uh, the lady left, went back to her room, and he came out, took Kylie, the middle middle child. She was uh, three at the time. And uh, he fled with her. Brianna hid her brother, pushed him back, and was yelling at him that we're not going with you. So she uh, she kept her brother and herself back at the hotel, and he fled. And it was about uh, four hours later that they can, uh, got him approximately 60 miles away, 60 miles north, due to Amber Alert. Hmm. Uh, Amber Alert, we had uh, Amber Alerts out for... for you know, the worst thing you can ever get is an Amber Alert on your phone and look down at your granddaughter or, or your daughter. That's an empty feeling, helpless feeling. And um, anyway, uh, thank God he didn't hurt her. But a, a lady sitting on the red light had heard it numerous times and kept silencing it. And the third time it went off, she said she picked it up and looked at it and saw the description of the vehicle. It was sitting right behind them at a light. And she called... 911 and told them what was going on and she followed them for about four or five city blocks I guess and uh, said she was getting scared that he might do something to uh, Kylie if she, if he saw her and they said don't worry we know exactly where you are you can go on home or whatever or break off and uh, there were eight I believe there were eight agencies from around that area within about a hundred square mile area converged on this guy hmm. and they were going after my granddaughter and I cannot thank them enough for that. 
it was unbelievable what you can see in, in the, the the videos and uh but there were there were communication breakdowns all along this whole story and uh that's what carrie hunt foundation is trying to, to to stop starting with carrier's law yeah and uh, when we were at the police station that afternoon she told me that it didn't work and uh uh, when the police detective sitting next to us heard Brianna tell me that 911 didn't work, we figured out it was because she was at a hotel. She didn't know to dial a nine or whatever it might be. The police detective went up. I said, that was a, a multi-line phone. We have to press line one, two, three, or four, or a nine. And she went back to the back of the police station, and she came out and said, just shook her head. She couldn't call 911 from the police station unless she dialed a nine first. Hmm. So I told Brianna that uh, Papa was going to fix it, and as soon as I said those words, I had no idea what I was going to do. I got scared because she looked at me and she said, okay. So that sealed it, and uh, thank God I found the right people that said yes. See, this is what I find so amazing about your story is, you know— I've had some loss in my life or, you know, mm-hmm. knocks that just you know, go against you and nothing compared to what you've suffered. But whenever that happens, I mean, the natural human instinct is to sort of withdraw or just become really pensive about things. But you actually took it in a different direction. You said, I want to take action. I want to change this so no one else goes through what Carrie, what Brianna, what Kylie, what Zane had to go through. And right. what what made you decide to take action? How do you know what action to take in those days and weeks right after Look in that kidding. little girl's eyes Yeah. when I told her that I would fix it. She knew I, I just made a promise to her. And I, there was no way. I, I, looking around that police station to see all the family members there and knowing that Kylie's off with this idiot, you know, telling what's going on with her, what she's going through. No, I don't want that to happen to anybody. And removing, being able to call 911, Come on, people. It's got to be simple. And it turns out it is simple. It was just a matter of people doing it on their own and finding out that they didn't. And it had been like that for a while. Now, as I understand it, that one of the first steps you took was to start a change.org petition. Yes, uh, what, what was that petition and what were you expecting that petition to result well, in? Somewhat, I didn't know what to do, how to start it or anything. I was on the Facebook and someone said change.org. So I went to this, this site. So it's a petition website. I said, give it a shot. So I filled out a petition. I did some research about 911 and uh, um, how much money had been collected over the, the past several years on your phone bill from cell phones and things like that for the 911 fund and finding out that maybe 1% of it is being spent on 911, the rest of it's on roads and Illinois or whatever it might be, and uh, it made me mad. And uh, so I, I uh, targeted the petition to uh, U.S. Congress and the Senate, and I guess key words in that petition showed up on someone's computer that uh, had, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, it's an, uh, certain words come up, you get an alert, oh, uh, right. Google alerts yeah. or whatever. And uh, I guess a few of the words that I used in the petition came up on uh, Mark Fletcher's uh, email notices. And uh, he contacted me and uh, took him long enough. I think. <laughs> and just so people, who, who is this random character, Mark Fletcher? Who is this? Well, he's, it's really hard to describe. 
Um, <laughs> we can agree on that. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he's a gentleman from New Jersey to begin with. <laughs> he's a Yankee, which uh, yes. one strike already. Yeah, so, and, yeah. uh, and uh, but uh, he had the, he had the wherewithal and the the, the backbone to call me what, within a week after my daughter had just been murdered and tell me he can help me fix this. And I don't remember the full conversation. All I know is I made him explain to me how he was going to help me. And um, I believe it was just days later he contacted you. Yeah. And uh, the ball started rolling. And uh, when he told me, he said he posted a picture on Facebook of the front of the building here. And he said, here we go. And I wasn't sure exactly what he was talking about at, at that time. But a few seconds later, I'm going, no way. Already? And, yeah, it was. And uh, the rest is, is history, brother. It, it really is. And that's <laughs> for my part of the story. And it was just amazing. You know, I get a lot of random feedback on yeah. Twitter, as you probably have seen. And uh, yeah. I saw this one. I thought, boy, this is a, a really tragic story. I've got to dig into this. And the more I started mm-hmm. digging, the more I wanted to dig more and understand why it was this way. And that's why when Mark came and sat down with me, I thought we've got to do something. And then he, as you know, put us in touch and we talked mm-hmm. on the phone, I think a few weeks after, uh, you know, was murdered. And I, I just remember very distinctly telling my folks, we've got to do something. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be able to affect change, but we've got to do something. And but but I, when we teach our children something as adamant and as common as dialing 911 for help, and we put it on our police cars, we put it on our ambulances, the fire trucks, uh, uh, police officers, firefighters will teach you, if you're ever in trouble, call 911. The little girl did. She did what she was taught to do by her mother, her grandparents, the police, the fire department, teachers. She followed instructions. And it was adults who let her down. And adults have to fix it. Exactly. And, that's, that's what we needed to do. So I have to ask, I mean, several weeks after you and I talked, I sent out a letter to the CEOs of the top 10 mm-hmm. hotel chains in the U.S., to the American Hotel and Lodging Association, asking them about the state of 911 calling in their phone mm-hmm. systems and seeing if they hadn't taken steps to allow direct access, and if not, why not? But the, the question I have to ask you is, were you skeptical about me or you? Know, why on earth is this random federal bureaucrat stepping in? I, I don't think he's actually going to be able to affect change or... Uh, no, I had full faith that we started off at the top. It, it was the way I felt. And uh, I, I remember we spoke on the phone. You called me at home one night. And that, that, made, me, that made me feel like there's somebody where it counts that cares. And because we had a, we had a pretty good conversation. Yeah. A lot of it centered around kids and, and uh it was it meant a lot to me it really did and um i think that i and i i think it was at that point that conversation when i said okay if you ever make it to texas i'll buy you a barbecue and some beer and you said okay what still was waiting it? to collect you give me a break no it really hit me too i mean my my son at the time was two my daughter was a newborn just two months old maybe right. if that and so yeah. just thinking about what your grandkids must have gone through in that room. I mean, I just, I, I told my wife after I got off the phone that night, I, I just can't, I can't go to sleep. I mean, it's just sort of the very definition of empathy, mm-hmm. right? Is putting yourself in someone else's shoes and imagining right. what their life must be like. And then, well, I, I think the, I don't think it's about 
Carrie? Because nobody knows Carrie. Nobody here has met her, but her story is captivating to a lot of people. Because, But the majority of the people that take an interest in it and want to fix it have kids. And I think that is the uh, the common factor that, that, that makes it so compelling and makes, makes people want to fix it. Absolutely. Because look at what my daughter went through and what my granddaughter went through. I don't want my kids going through that. And that's what I was trying to target. And, uh, and that's one of the things I think I might have said it when we had our event in Marshall in 2015, when we announced some of the results mm-hmm. of our mm-hmm. initiative, when we had you know, Congressman Gomert there and Mark and a bunch of other good folks who had been supporting this effort. To know Carrie's story is mm-hmm. to want to make change. And that's another thing I find impressive. I mean, a lot of people want to make change, but you actually did it. I mean, you started initiatives in all of these states and even at the federal level. And I was wondering if you could discuss uh, the federal uh, legislation that recently passed and what the process was like and uh, what it was like when that process ended. Watching paint dry. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what the process yeah. was. It was slow, uh, a lot slower than I expected, but uh, made several trips to Washington and, and met with the senators and Congress, members of Congress in their offices. And I started to learn pretty much how Washington works. And uh, at that point, you have to take different angles. And, and do things differently. And no, I do not want to run for office in Washington. <laughs> but I know I know some tricks and, and curveballs that they can throw. And uh, I know how to throw them back now. And, and that's okay. If, if that's the way I have to do it. It wasn't anything that was bad. It's just people are different. And you've got to explain things different to some people who have more different concerns than you might about some. Some it was cost. Some it was technology. Some it was uh, um, they want more to it than, than, than what Kerry's law is. The main thing I wanted was for Kerry's law to not break somebody. I don't want someone in a, in a mom and pop hotel that's got a 40 room hotel having to spend ten thousand dollars to upgrade their phone systems. And that's what I was trying to avoid. And uh, once I learned more about it and, and the technology that was there, especially I w- when, where I was working was a building that was in 1974 is when it was created. We still had the same phone system that was when it was created. And that uh, the tech company came out, and in 15 minutes, the whole building had been changed over. <laughs> so I knew it was easy to do. Right. And when he asked why, they didn't charge us. And then I said, okay. There's, there's good people out there. I know there are. And um, what, what a lot of people think, like, like on the, the location uh, services for, for the multi-line telephone systems, I'm not real smart about that. But uh, I, I do know that if we have uh, – it's just uh, if we do that for landline phones, it's a word I'm trying to look for, I just feel like the cost will be un, un, uh, overbearing for – for the smaller companies and things like that. So I don't know how to get around that. I would love for it to, to happen, but I don't think it would help. Uh, being a former first responder, I can get the same information that the dispatcher does, but it means nothing to me until I get there and someone shows me what this is. Right. So uh, knowing that 123 Main Street, third floor, room 14A, whatever, I still got to know how to get to it. 
Right. So, and um, yeah, that's the other thing that struck me when I started looking into this is that in many cases the fix is pretty easy. I mean, even here at the FCC, we didn't have direct access Correct. to nine one one. It essentially just <laughs> was a case of my predecessor, the former chairman saying we want to change this and mm -hmm. there it was it was done and so i think that's part of the, what struck members of congress too saying this is a common sense fix right. um now Kerry's law ultimately did pass thanks to your efforts and oh no, uh, no. thanks to a lot of people's efforts well but you're first uh, first among many and on february 16th uh you and i shared a special uh, moment and i was wondering yeah. if you could describe that uh what we did that day and it what was it, meant to you. it was surreal for me uh i was looking at the uh, I was fixated on the resolute desk uh, we were in there you know you know we were all brought in before uh, President Trump came in so there's a well just back up with what, what what exactly happened in the lead up to that so he, the Congress passed uh, Kerry's law yes and then ultimately it came to the president and he was going to sign it and I think they had, I think they invited a bunch of uh, uh, yeah, you and a bunch were. of characters like me uh, to come along yeah so. there was a lot of characters in there <laughs> and uh, uh, there were people from Alabama there was the uh, uh, dispatcher of the year mm -hmm. nationwide was there um i, I know i think marcia blackburn was there uh I, I it it was all a. I know it took probably 20 minutes 25 minutes maybe but to me it lasted 60 seconds yeah so in my memory but uh the the lead up to it was uh it, it finally passed the senate at 5.30 in the morning, which I stayed up all night. Oh, I and that it was, night. Yeah, it happened to be Carrie's birthday. Oh. And it was the only reason it was at 5.30 in the morning because uh, a filibuster had been started the night before, so they kept going all night long. And then finally it came up, and it went through so fast, I didn't understand what they meant. And I actually had a reporter text me, what the heck was that all about? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. So I went and looked up certain words, and I said, okay, it passed. And then it went to, uh, a week later, it went to the White House, went to President Trump's desk to be signed on the 50th anniversary of the first 911 call. And uh, when we were let in there, the Resolute desk was just awesome to me. I love that, that, that desk. But I, I, I was looking around at the rest of the, the Oval Office. This is where my brain was here. And I noticed out the back window, there was glass there, that there was... Uh, just manicured lawn, hedges, and everything. I thought that was great. And there was <laughs> bird poop on the window. <laughs> and it really bothered me. And I kept looking, and I wanted to tell my wife, DJ, <laughs> there's bird poop on the window. Somebody's got to fix this. This is a White House here. And the next thing I know is I heard my wife say, oh, my, and I turn around, and President Trump is standing there, and he's looking at me. <laughs> Like I'm an idiot, which I was, and uh, but I mean he he was so cordial and, and uh, inviting, and he introduced himself to everybody there. Bless my granddaughter, uh, Brooklyn. She was scared to death, and uh, she kind of broke the ice with her, "Oh my God!" answer when she stuck her hand out to shake his. But uh, he was very nice to my family. He was very welcoming, and I wanted Brianna to see him, whoever it was. I wanted Brianna to see the president sign that into law and get the pen. Yeah. And not only did that happen, but he hugged her and told her he was proud of her and that her mother would be proud of her. I could not have asked for any more. Uh, I stood back and told DJ, I promise fulfilled. And, so. and this is why, you know, look, I'm not blowing smoke just because you're here, but this is why I think you represent the best of citizen advocacy to go from where you were 
in December of 13, a dad grieving who'd made a promise to a granddaughter, mm-hmm. just a few years later, standing in the most powerful office of the most powerful man on earth, having him thank you for your efforts and hand your granddaughter a pen that yeah. he used to sign legislation named after you. I mean, only in America, you know, yeah. and only because of your efforts. And it's yeah. really just, uh, like I said, a testament well, to your courage that we were in that room at that point. I'm, I'm a testament that if, if, if you work hard enough, it, it'll happen. And the other thing I remember from that day is, aside from looking at you uh, like a hawk to see your reactions, just watching Brianna, and she was so poised, mm-hmm. so dignified. Um, you know, when I was chatting with her, just so happy it seemed mm-hmm. and to have gone through what she's gone through I, I can't I can't even imagine so I guess so my other question is how, how is she doing how are the other kids doing and uh, how are you all doing? kids are doing kids are doing fine Brianna's smart as a whip I mean just perfect grades uh, she's in a uh, 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 football dance team and, and and wants to be a cheerleader <laughs> Please no, but uh, <laughs> money already is unbelievable. But uh, the cost of, of putting them through those things. But um, it, she's doing okay. Uh, when we travel, it's still to to this day. Uh, we went to uh, we went to Six Flags a couple of weeks ago, and we stayed overnight. And uh, the first thing she does when she goes in the hotel room is go to the phone and reads the, the faceplate on the phone, and she never says anything. It's just a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and I know that when she does that, I'm going to be talking to a hotel manager before we leave. And what happens when you talk to that manager? Uh, they, they, some of them don't know about it, mm-hmm. which is still my job. We're still trying to get the, the word out. And it's, it's, a, it's an awareness problem at this point. And uh, some of them say, it does work. We just haven't changed the cards on there. And I will ask them if I can check it. And they said, sure. And I will call the local PSAP telling them I'm going to test the phone. And it, it may not work on every phone in the building. I understand that. But if it works on the one I'm calling from and they say that it's been changed, then I have to I have to believe it uh, that it's done. And uh, it, it's a law, and I, I explain it to them. And if it's, if it's not done 100% and something happens, you know, it's going to be their responsibility for it. So yeah. they can no longer say they didn't know. Exactly. You know, to close uh, one loop on the story, uh, one of the favorite messages I got, and I can't remember if it was you or DJ, um, was updating me on the criminal process that mm-hmm. he went through. And I, just for our listeners, could you tell us what the state of play is with respect to uh, the man who murdered Kerry? Well, uh, we went through a week-long trial. Uh, he pled guilty, which I never could figure out why we were going through a week-long trial. But... Uh, uh, ended up the sentencing part was what took the most. Uh, of course, everybody wanted death penalty. Everybody wanted life sentence. And uh, the prosecutor that we had there was uh, a smart man. And uh, he he went for 99, 99 years. And that's what the jury gave him was 99 years. But with 99 years, you don't get possibility of parole until, you're, until after 60 years. And uh, we offered him many I think we offered him four chances to to take an agreement. You know, uh, we will offer you this if you plead guilty and all this other good stuff. In the beginning, he turned them all down. And uh, no, he he actually thought he would do his time and get out in about four or five years. And uh, he ended up getting 99, so he's not eligible for parole for 60 years, which would put him in his 90s. Hmm. So justice was served. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, you know, the last question I've got, it's a pretty controversial one. You and I have been friends now for a number of years. Uh, we've broken bread a, f- a few times, uh, including the very first time I actually met you in person. It was down in Texas. Right. Um, this might be the end of our friendship, but depending on how you answer this question. So I'm just going to set it up that way. Better okay. barbecue, Texas or Kansas? Oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> Texas, of course. You've got to be kidding me, man. Have you ever invited me to Kansas to try it? Well, I, standing invitation. Kansas okay. City Barbecue we'll will to, take you to a good gas station on 47th Street. I'll tell you what. Why don't we meet in Oklahoma? You bring some, I'll bring some, and we'll, let, we'll invite somebody from Oklahoma to test it. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, But it doesn't matter where. We can have barbecue anywhere you want. I don't care. Well, sounds sounds good to me. Uh, you know, I know we've been uh, Texas. <laughs> Texas. Have you guys had New York City barbecue? Oh. I mean, it's, it's, this is the problem. Let me tell you right? something. I, I we saw were... that on Twitter. I thought this has got to be the biggest trolling effort of all time. New York City barbecue. <laughs> I was in New York City with Mark Fletcher, and we went to a uh, I can't remember the name. It said they were from Laredo, Texas, and I went, "All oh, right, this is going to be some Texas barbecue up in New York." Nah, no. So grilled tofu it, or something. It was good. No, it wasn't that bad. But it was. Uh, it wasn't a prime cut mm-hmm. or a select cut. It was a cut, and uh, but it was. It was okay. The atmosphere was a little just just different. That's all. It's just just different. Uh, when 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 I go in to eat barbecue, I see blue jeans, boots, and cowboy hats. Up here, it was briefcases and neckties and and course it was still barbecue yeah and, and it was it was it was good but uh it wasn't texas i think that's one thing we can't agree on it's just the one of the greatest innovations in civilization has been burned meat with some good sauce on the Gotta side be. i mean it's just really i, I don't know yeah. how you can get any better than that plus a nice cold beer too but. right exactly or some chili well, that is about it for me, my friend. I just want to say thank you again. Right, and I, I really do mean it. Uh, you've been an inspiration to me. I think of you all the time. I think of Brianna. I think of the whole family. And uh, whatever uh, the next stage in the adventure is, uh, just know that God's always going to be with you as uh, will appreciate uh, my, me and all my colleagues here at the FCC. So appreciate thanks for that. what you do. Well, and you'll be a part of it, I hope. Absolutely. And I'll so. see you in Oklahoma. All right, man. You got it. I'll bring the sauce. Thank you both very much. Find this podcast in the iTunes store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you uh, like what you hear or don't, feel free to leave us a review. It'll help others find the show. Thanks for listening. Mm